episode of Keeping Track, we talked to Molly about another top 10 finish at the World Championships in Doha and Alicia about what it was like to finally receive two medals. We discussed the shadow over the championships of a certain anti-doping violation ban and give our advice to young athletes. Then we end with some of our personal highlights of the action from Worlds. Thank you for keeping track. Hey, welcome back to Keeping Track. This is Molly Huddle. Alicia Montano. And Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. And we're back with our second episode. Um, what's on the chat list for today, guys? A lot has happened. Molly and I are returning from Doha. Um for the 2019 World Championships. Molly, let's talk about you really quick. You had an opportunity to actually um, become top 10 again. Um, Tell us about that. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, it was another World Championship 10K. Um, There was a, it was a good stadium, actually. I'll start by describing what it was like in Doha. So it was super, super humid outside. I don't know how the marathoners did it. Um, I've never run in a dew point of 83 before, but I was pretty much soaking wet and couldn't breathe after about 10 minutes in the workout that I did when I got there. But the stadium was totally fine. The stadium was like, it felt like an indoor track, no wind. It was probably, you know, 70 degrees. You could breathe. It was fine. No excuses. The track is really fast. Um, and as far as the race, it was a little disappointing. Like, I had hoped to win the pack that I was in, but I think fitness-wise, there wasn't a whole lot of time left there. Um, I think we ran about 31 minutes, and, uh, you know, we were trading off the lead between myself and Emily for a little while there, trying to reel in a few women from the front pack that fell off. And, um, yeah, there wasn't. this wasn't a year where I was going to jump into that front pack. I mean, they that just wasn't where my fitness was at. So would have loved to be more like seventh, but ended up ninth. And uh, could, you, could you just tell anyone, listeners who didn't see your race, how the race kind of unfolded? Yeah, the 10K was um, pretty honest from the start. I think the German woman, Alina Ray, got, our first lap was slow. It was like an 80, but then... She was running 75s after that, and we were all kind of in a line, and at two miles, two and a half miles or so, there was a move made by um, the women that ended up finishing in the top six. So those six women ran about a 70-second lap. I think that was a 447-mile or so by them, and... Um, this is before the halfway point. Yeah, mm-hmm. right before 5K. Uh, I think we went through 5K at 1540, and they were 1530. So we had broken open by then, and then the races, um, our pack just kind of kept that pace going. Our last mile was kind of fast. Like, I think we closed in 444, nice. um, and the women Amazing. Up, up front were hauling. I had to watch the race after to know what they did, and um, the winner, <laughs> Sifan Hassan, closed in 420. No, 417, yeah. I think, for her last mile. Which 359, is, 1500. Yeah, which is... Um, pretty legendary closing speed so obviously none of us were going to match that um and the woman behind her closed really fast as well so how did you feel in the race yourself Um, i felt um all right you know i've had i didn't feel as good as i wanted to over there but i just grinded it out and i've had a lot of races like that so Mm -hmm. um you hope it's a day you feel great that's not always is yeah (laughs) see yourself and emily your training partner took on the kind of second pack and Mm -hmm. worked together yeah, we did. We've done that a lot this year. So yeah. I, we talked about it before the race. We said if we find each other off the front pack, um, 
let's try and trade off until we get to a mile to go. Yeah. And so it was good to have that company yeah. there. How many days beforehand were you there in uh, Doha? We landed on the 22nd and raced on the 28th. So we were there about a week. Okay. Yeah. So you had plenty of time to acclimate. You didn't feel that sort of jet lag fatigue or, you know, it was just really the race, uh, the climate and just the day of the race was what it was. I think so. Yeah. Like I felt like I was sleeping okay and stuff. Um, But yeah, sometimes you just don't feel, your legs just don't feel as springy as you'd like. So um, Emily kind of said the same thing. So who knows? Maybe it was our our last workout was just it was too hot or whatever. Mm-hmm. We didn't taper perfectly, but um, yeah, that's another world's in the books. Mm-hmm. So on 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 this subject, really quick, can we talk a little bit about expectation when showing up to a major world championship? I think um, it would be great and insightful for just younger athletes to hear from you know and an athlete who is so decorated like yourself, Molly, just what it's like to show up to a major championship and know that there's expectation, not just from yourself, but from everyone else, you know, um, being so close to a medal time and time again, finishing in the sixth position, being in top 10. Um, I think that there's, there is expectation from the outside and sometimes it filters its way through to you. Like, how do you deflect that? How do you show up on the line knowing, you know, that you need to focus on yourself and not let all the noise, um, interfere with your your uh, preparation yeah I, that's a good question especially being on team usa where it's almost like a medal is is an expectation we have so many great athletes on our team and you know in the meeting before you like you remember at least you have the team meetings where it's like you're getting amped and they're talking about all the expectations and all the medals they hope to get and so even from your own team you just feel like that's what is needed to even be seen. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you go in with your own expectations based on your training and based on the research you've done and the women that are of the women that are in the race. And, um, you know, I knew for me and Emily coming from our marathon into the track season, we weren't going to run um, probably for a top three spot, but you never know. It just, a lot of it depends on how the race goes and who shows up. And um, when all that unfolds, you know what to expect. And I think we had reasonable goals trying to be in the 6 through 10 range. You hope for 6, you might end up 10th, but that's the range we were aiming for based on our workouts and our preparation and um, where we were at compared to where the other women were at. So you just you have to run that race and keep motivated for um, things besides medals. You have to like really like look at the nuances of the race and know like what you can do. Mm-hmm. But within a lot of contracts, um, medals are that incentivized bonus, not only like the pressure from your team, especially on Team USA. I do remember the hoorahs and, you know, you're trying to be like, hey, I'm happy with putting it together a great race, even if that means fourth, fifth, sixth. I want to be able to, you know, we, we spread this message to the mass public, to the younger generation just about, you know, do your very best. But when you become a professional athlete, those incentives are heavily weighing on you when it comes to, you know, what um, the future of your professional contracts look like. I don't know what yours look like, but for me, that was huge. And I noticed that in a lot of other uh, people's contracts. And sometimes I feel like um, people let it cloud their judgment when it comes to things like doping. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, um, you know, the need for medals and all of that uh, contributes to this ridiculous doping epidemic that we are seeing right now in the sport? I do think there needs to be more of an expanded focus beyond medals. It's kind of that like 
um, metal or bust mentality is can be damaging I think I obviously we all strive for that that's a goal that I have I'm not saying don't think big and don't reach for that I just think you have to of course kind of appreciate and understand like the landscape of your event and just where you are in it and um there's more amazing stories you know in the race than just the one two three spots I think we could all do a better job of and that's part of what this podcast hopes to do you know shining a light on kind Mm -hmm. of some of those other stories besides the ones that are um flashed across the metal stand or that are readily available there's there's a lot more there so I do think that's part of it that pressure and that kind of obsession with the medals and sort of the notion that it's a failure if you don't hit that incredibly hard um standard of performance year in Mm -hmm. and year out yeah, absolutely. Yeah, top three in the world of such yeah. a small percentage of people that even make it to that stage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's but, an accomplishment in itself. Yeah, absolutely. And even on that, you know, we like I, I kind of call it the same thing as you, um, Alicia, where it's like it's noise, 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 right? The, the sports media, the headlines, medals, medals, oh, many medals. Why don't you win medals? Why didn't you go for a medal? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what? There's, there's winning outside of medals, right? If you run your mm-hmm. best race, you're basically winning for yourself that day. And, um, yeah, the broadening the definition of success is really important because if it's only about medals, then, yeah, people mm-hmm. are more, okay, medals or else. And that is going exactly. to increase the likelihood of people thinking, how do I, how do I get up there? How, what else can I do? And that kind of desperation and gripping on that can maybe misgu- yes. mis- help people make decisions that <laughs> they shouldn't make. Um, yeah. And it's kind of can be unrealistic. Yeah. So what did you? Yeah. Did you I guys- think this is. Oh, sorry, Alicia. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was nope. I was go going to shift um, and ask what you what were your favorite moments? Like, did either of you have favorite moments mm. of spectating? Let's hear about, no, wait, before we even get there, can we hear about Alicia's big moment? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of medals and oh. how they're not everything, <laughs> you've got two. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> how, how was it? Tell us. I, I find myself in the same thought process of, uh, as Molly, right? Obviously, we wouldn't be doing this profession year in and year out, making the choices that we make to show up to certain events, family weddings, um, you know, whatever events that might conflict with your goals um, in the sport if a medal wasn't something that I wanted, right, or that I was hoping to achieve. But at the same time, you know, being at the end of an event, maybe finishing fourth, maybe finishing fifth against clean athletes would feel like an achievement. But when you know that you're being cheated, like, you know, and people are like, how do you know? It's like, you know the sport, you understand progression, you understand, you know, what it takes to kind of tick away at a time. Nobody drops, you know, especially in an 800, you don't go from, you know, a 201 runner to a 156 runner um, overnight. That's just not how it works. And you do need to get seasoned and see yourself on that world stage to, you know, going through rounds to be able to give yourself that veteran mentality. I'm not saying a rookie can't come out and do something amazing, but we're, we're looking at all of the um, odds and ends matching up against each other. That's how we're able to determine like, you know, this isn't really a true performance and it's sad. You don't want to, you know, judge anyone or paint them with a brush. But I mean, if you are a fan of the sport and you're watching progression and you're watching specific athletes, certain athletes, you can see um, through the BS. And I just don't want the sport to be like that. Um, going to Doha, you know, I felt like I owed it to myself. You know, I'd, I'd known, 
in 2011, 2012, 2013, I was a medalist. I didn't know if it was ever going to show up for me during, you know, the tenure um, or, you know, during my lifetime. (laughs) Um, I hoped that it would or at any time that it still mattered to me. Um, And I don't know if I found this out 20 years from now, if it would still matter. I feel like it would because it's been such a roller coaster ride of of, you know, truth and justice. I feel like people feel that way about justice, no matter how far or how long it, it, it shows up for them. So, um, heading over there, I went in with the mentality of enjoy this entire experience from the very beginning mm-hmm. of getting on a plane, you know, at 5 AM with my five-year-old and my two-year-old, because I could have continued to let, uh, the dopers, the cheaters, the corrupted, the corruption from IWF, you know, take away my happiness but so I was trying to be in this space of um yeah of just go with the flow be very very like look for all the great moments um savor experience really savor this experience yeah yeah exactly like it's it's coming to you at this point for a reason and I know it sounds so cliche and so hippie and whatever but it helped me go in with a great mentality and excitement and so my kids were able to see that they were able to feel that I feel like it helped with a good vibe you know we my my kids slept like almost the entire flight there we literally people were like your kids are so good and I was giggling like I don't know what's happening (laughs) um and so when we should Right. <laughs> like, yes, cross your fingers. Don't say anything else. When we show up to Doha, um, I was genuinely, I didn't feel any angst of wanting to be on the track and competing or racing or anything like that. And it was actually a, a really incredible experience to go there and be like, we've got one day to see Doha. I was there in 2010 where I won my first medal. It was an indoor medal. Um, th- these would be my first outdoor global medals. Um, and I remember not having enough time because, you know, you go to these championships, uh, you go and you train on the circuit, you race on the circuit and everyone's like, oh, that's so great. You went to Paris, you went to, but usually you're going in, you're resting up, you're racing the next day you're out. So, mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to spend that day and showing my kids. And so we, we had a really great experience, almost like a quick family trip. Like if we were driving to Tahoe <laughs> really quick from the family Bay area, a family, a quick family, yeah, a weekend vacay in, yeah, a 24 hour trip. Woo. Um, and so we did that, you know, and we, um, I think having Lou on would be really exciting to hear his take because I'm taking it from this side. He took uh, the brunt of it and walked around, you know, because I'm, I am the pregnant one in our family. <laughs> he walked around at 1 a.m. with my son, you know, to 1 to 5 a.m. because I, like oh, that's, wow. he was taking his naps in the middle of the night because it was such a short trip. Yeah. Um, and so when we, when we saw ourselves, um, you know, just continuing this space of happiness, positivity, like neither one of us were frustrated about it. Um, mm. We just were going, we just knew this is what we were going in. Yeah. It, like, you know, to do just kind of taking this experience on uh, the day of, um, you know, I felt, I did feel a little bit of, um, those race jitters before you're going to go compete, which was really weird. I didn't expect to feel that like, Oh, I got to go back to my room and get ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Auto, Although, like, kind of auto, the environment is kind of bringing out this kind of automatic response in your system. Like, Oh, where's my name tag? Yeah. Where's my bag? Where's my spikes? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it was, and, you know, I'm putting on like, you know, the metal uniform, and you know, oh, was my hair right? And my husband's like, "You sure you want to wear your hair up?" And I'm like, "You're right." <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very much kind of like prom-like experience in a little bit mm. of ways. But then mm. I do feel like um, 
the we had no I, we didn't know where we were going so we get off the bus um we get on this we get on a bus in general and we get off the bus and we we're like where do we need to be because there's no one it wasn't the same as when you get on with the championships and you get on with the team and you have this team manager you know telling you where to go next it was like i just kind of got off and we got the whole experience was so funny you guys because it was just a lot of rolling into the right situation nice you're just <laughs> um, yeah that's good yeah I would I felt like you know the universe or whatever was like you already been through enough like we're not gonna make yeah. it stressful nice. like I didn't feel any stress <laughs> Bonus. <laughs> like there was like a go-kart waiting for us and they were like where do you guys need to be and we're like oh we don't know uh <laughs> metal ceremony and my parents are like tickets and the lady was just driving us around and nobody gets like just carted around yeah um <sighs> the hardest part for me was something you guys might not expect it was um the, t- the the travel um, locked my SI joint. So now I'm this pregnant lady walking around, going to get my medal, and I'm, like, limping. People are like, are you okay? But it's only because the travel kind of messed me up a little bit. But um, you just rolled, laughing through the whole thing. You should have rolled over to Josh Glass. He would have helped you out. I know. <laughs> I know. I felt like I couldn't find enough time. And this is the, the best part about this, because if I was competing, you find time. I was like, no, we got to get to the sook. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. So that was that was in part my experience. But let me just talk about the emotions of being on the metal stand. So that was like the part going up to it. And I felt like that was the majority of it. Mm-hmm. And then when the time came it was myself I saw Brenda back there we were chattering I mean Brenda and I had the most um personal interconnected conversation that we've ever had with each other just about the whole experience and I am grateful for that because I don't feel like we would have had that otherwise we're always competing against each other um we we train different spaces just don't have enough time and you take it so serious when you are competing especially with the expectation you don't want to like you know I wish that we could have laughed and joked a little bit more at the time but we just weren't in that space um and so i really really cherished that and appreciated that so you could just bring, in case any of our listeners don't know who brenda is brenda martinez yeah, yeah. was also upgraded she's a she's a compatriot of yourself and you guys are rivals at the time um right you guys are different training groups different coaches yeah. um in the same yeah event. i would say yeah but um, what a thing like what um, a unique thing to have understanding with someone about like that's such a yeah. such a specific and strong like emotion I, of course yeah. the two of you would bond over something like that like you just understand you don't even need to really talk about it i'm sure but you can try <laughs> yeah mhm yeah and that's what was so that's what i thought was great and Jan Kapkowski was also there um who was being upgraded in 2011 from her bronze to her silver so um mm-hmm. Only person who was missing in our uh, the metal ceremony was um, Caster, which would have been great to have in both of my ceremonies. Yeah. But um, that's a whole other subject we can talk about. Um, yeah, definitely. So yeah, so did that you was do the experience your ceremonies back to back, like get off the stone podium and then get back up? <laughs> I did. I think having this conversation with Lewis is really interesting because he has such raw emotions about everything we went through. Because yeah. I was going into it. He's, we're different people, right? I was going into it just ready to just be be happy like be happy like I'm very much the type of person who's like I also as everyone knows I'm an open book I really feel like it's important to share true emotions not to be fake Mm -hmm. and I think it's fair for me to have the ones that hurt too but I didn't want to be up there just mad and bitter and like you know it would take away from going and taking what's mine I also wanted to make sure that these came home with me and that I wasn't waiting for them anymore Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. so that's why I showed up but to hear Brenda say you know Alicia I really wanted to make sure 
I was here doing it with you the right way was so emotional for Mm -hmm. me. I don't know why. I just was like, you know, because then it, but then it made me think of those feelings like not getting the flag handed to you and running around the track. And those Mm -hmm. things started kind of welling up in my eyes. And, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to move forward um, and not think about the things that you lost. And, but that's also like super like um can make you mad and make you like maddening and can make you sick mm-hmm. um and I just I'm in such a happy space in my life I was trying my best to to you know not let those be yeah at the forefront it makes of sen- all of my emotions but yeah it makes yeah. sense though that it's mixed like that right that you were kind of robbed yeah. or there was a loss there that you did not get and you'll never get yeah but yet you're choosing yeah, to felt- feel like gratitude for this moment and and actually getting right. what was yours and I think it's easy to, right it'd be easy to get bitter and let the sport make you bitter when those realities kind of yeah. hit you right in your heart like the career you had is like directly affected by those things but um I think you can be yeah. not a naive person and still be determined to not let it make you bitter or lose hope in the sport or hate the sport or any of those mm. negative emotions. You know, you, I think it's possible yeah. to not let them win. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's a it's a work. And that's the other thing. It's it's a real it's really truly I'm seriously work at it. Um, yep. And I think, again, being there and and not feeling like I needed to be on the track and instead being very much aware of my teammates and all the amazing things they were hoping to do there was really exciting but you know when I was on the podium in itself there definitely a whole nother flood of things I didn't know I was going to feel yeah. while trying to be like woohoo and that's when I kind of made fun of myself about the Instagram post because I was like just smile like you're going to get that really cool photo you want and then my face was just doing weird stuff oh yeah I mean <laughs> stuff you couldn't have, and probably imagine you know would happen when you actually got to step up there and you know all those years definitely. of waiting and all your career and all those moments and just like boom and they all kind of hit you at the one time yeah wow yeah I definitely felt like um uh, like this is really weird to explain but I I did feel like strength Mm. kind of was leaving me a little bit like one of those moments where you're like oh this is how people faint on stage Mm. um (laughs) wow and that was really weird to kind of combat uh okay you got to keep walking you got to move forward and then all the lights are flashing but I did look around and the stadium was completely empty and I felt another feeling about that you guys it's just hard to explain all the things I was combating what I wanted to walk away with and just the reality too is real you know Mm. so yeah um but like you know Brenda and I turning to each other I think we both shared that photo on Instagram Instagram. It was, it's kind of, I, I joke cause I'm such a, a comedic relief type of person, but like, I was like, it, it was like a, you may kiss the bride moment. We both just started falling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were both well. crying and like talking to each other and like a big hug. And it was just so funny to have that captured, but mm. also sweet at the same time, because I was, I know like, with, this is how I am. I was just joking about like, look at, we just got married. <laughs> <laughs> but also um, though, but it kind yeah. of like a very symbolic kind of like you're coming together and like now your friendship yeah. is, you know, solidified and like, you know, Definitely. that like the grand scheme of things, it's like, oh, medals are great and all, but look at like, this is important too, or like bonding over this and the time that's passed totally. and, and that connection um, and how things have evolved over the last few years and the meaning of all of this. It's kind of continued to evolve by the sound of it. Yeah, and I think definitely, especially at this World Championships. I mean, there's drama at every World Championships, but this had right. no lack of it. Because um, yeah. if you want to shift yep. topics to <laughs> yeah. day two of, of the World Championships, there more, was more highlights. Yeah, um, the news of Alberto's four-year doping ban happening right in the 
beginning of the World Championships when he had numerous athletes Middle there. Resin? Well, day two, I guess. Oh, day two. Yeah. Oh, just, wow. Um, so what do you guys think about that? What does that say for track and field? What are your thoughts on how it hurts, how it helps? What could be better? What could be worse? Oh, man. Um, I guess I'll, I'll just throw a quick two cents in and kind of throw it over to, to you guys. But um, I, it's, again, was talking about not losing hope in the sport, right? Mm-hmm. And um, even just like with metal reallocations and things like that. But then it just feels like it, it is doesn't feel like it. It's the constant news of the dopers that continuously, like year after year after year, it's like they're not learning and they're all thinking they have an opportunity to get away with it. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's a trickle-down effect from the top. Um, IAAF isn't doing enough to um, incentivize the ex- you know clean athletes, mm-hmm. um, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And you know the no co- coaches knowing that there's a space in which they could bribe and potentially corrupt. Um, you know, the forces that be that are supposed to be protecting clean athletes, I think, is um, is not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not... Strong enough? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not It's not obsolete. We need for mm-hmm. those those options to be 100% gone. This is not something that you're going to be able to do. Um, but this, with coaches knowing this and knowing that they can do things like, you know... Uh, tamper with TUEs or, or just how, how the usage of TUEs and, you know, therapeutic use exemptions is what that is, everybody. Um, you know, for that's supposed to be something that athletes that might actually need a prescription for something that would otherwise be banned, they, sh- they could be able to use it. Um, you know, that just all that corruption, I think, is really, it, it is hard to, you know, make sure you're not um, feigning ignorance and to kind of keep hope in the sport. And I hope that people can look towards athletes um, performances and clean athletes and just look at other things that p- athletes have to offer within how they care about their community and to know like mm-hmm. or to hope that they are doing the right thing mm-hmm. yeah 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 the the case with alberto is interesting because it actually it leaves a lot of his athletes out of it and i guess his actual cause for ban was um trafficking of testosterone which was for his own use and that and then the uh method of l-carnitine um, IVs, you can't have that much at one time, but uh, it wasn't like any athlete was directly implicated or anything like that, and I think that just brings up the whole topic of gray area, sort of mm-hmm. half-doping, I guess. I don't know, prescription use in track and field, whatever you want to call it, and it also brings microdosing up... Or, yeah, yeah, microdosing, things that are technically, I guess, if you're following the exact letter and period and punctuation of the law technically not um breaking the doping rules but mm-hmm. in by having the same effect on the athletes as far as that advantage that not everyone's willing to go to and also that um you know there's a lot of sort of denial of um by his by his athletes and the athletes in the apparently adjacent group um under Pete Julian of not really knowing the sort of reputation had by the group before they entered um, being young athletes I think maybe we could talk to speak to um, our experience or what we think is a normal experience coming out of school and mm-hmm. choosing a coach and what we knew and didn't know and um, yeah. just to kind of voice what what we thought was normal or what we experienced or what we learned or who helped steer us in the right direction so do you guys have any comments on that experiences on that like 
Ro, you want to start? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a tough one. You know, um, the, some of the athletes in Alberto's group have kind of said, oh, I didn't know anything about his allegations and stuff. And, um, you know, that's kind of confusing as well, right? Because there's a lot of people who've talked about Al- Alberto for many years <clears throat> pre the NOP. Um, he had a history with a Mary Decker Slaner, etc. Slaney. Um, and, you know, for somebody to say, I didn't know anything about him or the rumors around him, it's, it's kind of really hard to believe because, you know, for every one person that supports Alberto, I'm 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 guessing there's 10 people who are going to say, hey, stay away from him. There's like there's rumors and he kind of goes into these gray, unethical bound boundaries if they exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, we kind of talked a bit about off air, like. How does how does somebody choose to listen to one person who's going to tell them, hey, come with me and I'm going to get you the performances that you want. I'm going to get you those bonuses that are on your contract. I'm going to get you make you part of, you know, this this culture of success that (laughs) we value so much in the US and the rest around the rest the rest of the world. So, you know, how does, you know, a young kid who's who's shown talent, who's got a contract, not make that decision? How do they say, hey, I'm going to go with um, a, a, a coach that maybe doesn't have as many medals behind their name or live in a prestigious, you know, train on a prestigious campus <laughs> um, on a certain headquarters? So it's, it's you can kind of get into the a young athlete's mentality there and see the temptation to ignore the warning signs and just choose to listen to the the you know I'll get you where you want to be kind of voice yeah I think from just my my experience um you know I think I I agree with Roe in you know just uh, uh, the fact that we there are young athletes that are coming out um and can be easily influenced by just looking at the medals once again um and not doing enough research I will say from you know, the Mary Decker Slaney era, I'm going to be completely honest. I wasn't a very huge track and field fan in high school. I was the sports fan. And, you know, if it was on, I would watch it. But like we were soccer fans, basketball, everything else. And track was great. But we were just like, I feel like most, um, every, most every other American where mm. we watched track and field on the Olympic year. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't doing any back-end research on anything like that. So part of me feels for athletes that were coming even straight out of college, because in college I still wasn't doing any research on track and field. My goal was to make an Olympic team. I had no idea how, that I could actually become a professional athlete. I was just like, whoa, yeah, oh, I'm going to sign a pro contract. So I want to be fair on, I guess, that aspect mm-hmm. of not everyone is like, doing the let's run forums and everything else like that their entire careers um and for me I feel like that's what helped my success to get into the pros is because I wasn't oversaturated Mm. with all the outside information that's a really good insight actually Alicia yeah but this is to go on to say that's what I feel about the early group you know of the Oregon Project group you know we had athletes that um we haven't mentioned uh, uh, that Matt Centrowitz ended up mentioning in his interviews with Dorian Ulrey. We had Ariana Lambie. We had all the, a bunch of athletes from um, Stanford come in, you know, hoping for an opportunity to train with this group. And also there wasn't a ton of running groups at the time. Um, And I'm talking about Kara's era, I think 2003 to whenever this whole thing was coming out. Right. But I will say 
there was there the conversation started to happen um because when i was now a pro and this is where i think um you can't feign ignorance when i was a pro every single conversation at every single table was about um you know the sketchy things that was going on within the Oregon project the thyroid use had come out i think it was a uh, an e story um they talked about how athletes like Galen Rupp were not following NCAA rules and were being coached by um, Alberto's group, um, before Oregon Project, before they would come out of college. That's illegal in itself. You know, that's not doping, but it's still illegal and lets you know that they're willing to do things that are not within the rules to accomplish, um, you know, being on the podium. And it's it, it plays with that ethical. And then you have the, the athletes that are telling me now before I'm coming out of college and just, you know, when I'm trying to figure out this pro career, because I do ask questions then. And that's what I want to encourage athletes to do is regardless of what you know beforehand, any decision that you make in your life, you now need to know that it is your responsibility to ask questions. You ask questions about the college you were going to go to. You know, you need to ask questions about your next career move. And that's where I was educated a lot about the stain the, the, the coaches and groups that had stains within the sport and mm-hmm. one of them was the Oregon Project and the other one you know was a bunch of agents I remember there was an agent um, Mark Block you know who mm-hmm. uh, my coach had known because uh, my coach is my coach is very I don't, nice way to say it he's very se- wise he's seasoned in life uh, <laughs> you know he's almost he's pushing 80 and so you know he was with uh, he helped Mark Block become a manager and get in the sport. So Mark Block was around my coach to say, hey, you have your athlete, you know, like I would love for her to be one of my athletes. And my coach to say, listen, I know we've known him for a long time. I will say here's some of his history. His wife tested positive. And that information is what is so yeah. important. So for our, for us, and that's so, Molly, that's for so Ro, important to yeah. have someone like Tony guiding you as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old. Like, I remember, mm-hmm. you know, being really lucky that my college coach was around long enough to know things like that, too. And um, mm-hmm. maybe not every kid coming out of school has a coach who's that old, who's that connected, who, yep. you know, who has that much of a foot in the door of elite track and field. Um, so that's really mm-hmm. lucky that you had someone like Tony guiding you. And myself, right, I consider exactly. myself lucky, too, for having uh, Tim Connolly sending me to Ray, who I think is a great coach. Yep. <laughs> and Tracy. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, it's like it, it is hard. But here's what I'll say. What your parents have told you, young athletes, about, you know, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Mm-hmm. Who you surround yourself is, you know, you're you are going to be um, guilty by association is true. And if you hear like an inkling of a rumor, I wouldn't take it for, you know, a grain of salt. I would take it very seriously. And if you cannot, without a shadow of a doubt, say that this is uh, not true, um, then I would run for the hills, especially when it comes to things like doping or cheating within um, your profession or your career track. I just feel like it's not worth it for a maybe um, or maybe not. So, I mean, I guess that's what I could say with... Um, Alberto is again, like, you know, I, yeah, there was lots of interesting things from athletes mouths about, you know, him telling them to go run beforehand. I mean, I've heard it from people before this even came out. Well, I think, oh yeah, I mean, he I was helping me get an as- inhaler, you know, there's so. a lot of rumors like that, that I think it, it, you do have to be careful and verify everything. Yeah. But I will say, of course, all I know is my experience of normal and getting to this level. What was normal yep. for us in our training group is, 
you know, there aren't prescriptions all over the place in our training group. There mm-hmm. aren't weird supplements that we don't know. Like, th- that is what I think I would want to relay to some of the younger athletes wondering what it takes to get to a certain level. And and I don't know if, mm. you know, what I've done and what our group has done is of is is below or at the standard of what some of these kids <laughs> want to do. Like, I don't have a medal, so maybe that's not what they're looking for. But I will say... 28-time national champion. Yeah, I like think you've all, done pretty good, Molly. <laughs> You're not done yet. All I can yet. say is what... What I think is normal in our group is to, you know, we're healthy, we're um, mm-hmm. extreme, like we're one of the healthiest subsets of the population to be able to do this. We don't have any um, prescriptions or inhalers or thyroid mm-hmm. medication or yeah, mm-hmm. testosterone or anything <laughs> weird. Yeah. Like we just take, you know, iron if you go to altitude, that kind yep. of stuff. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want yeah, also, I think the general public can sort of get um a bit um dark on the subject and just kind of lump everyone in and say well everyone at the championships sure. is doping and i i can say that that's not true either mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's re- of course it's really yeah, hard exactly. to you definitely don't want yeah. for good performances and amazing performances to be shadowed by, of by doping because no one is able to run a crazy time or yeah. you know have a incredible PR um, that's not the case at all but yeah. I just think if you have been a professional athlete and you know all of the shadow that was behind a group beforehand or an agent beforehand everyone all young athletes run for the hills don't it's not worth it to have that stain on your on your career because people are going to question you and um, you, you know what your parents had said about surrounding yourself. Yeah, and it's, you know, in a positive and that's environment gonna, is true. Yeah, and and of course we can kind of get down to that, and that kind of can be like, oh, well, that's kind of unfair if somebody one person made a mistake and then everyone else has right. kind of suffered the consequences of that. But if you go in there with your eyes, you know, wide open and know, hey, there's like this association around this person, and I'm willing to kind of go there and take that risk and trust my own judgment. Don't be surprised if the rest of the world is still going to, you know, put you in that in that environment or kind of label you um, because you're associated with that person. Just just don't be surprised because the rest of the world might not be able to kind of, you know, individually take that time to get to know that person and make that choice themselves. So they're going to just kind of judge a group by the one person, the one notorious person of a group as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And so that's just how the world works, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there, there's one more thing I want to say just about like my own personal experience too, especially in regards to Alberto. I had Alberto tracking me down my entire career, uh, hoping for an opportunity to get me to go over there. And I think he looks for, um, you know, he looks for an athlete that's like just right there. He looks for an athlete that's on the cusp, mm. you know, keeps not meddling. <laughs> um, and, you know, perhaps training environment for me I was training all by myself and he kept Mm. asking hey you know we got this great group over here we have so-and-so that's running this we just brought this person on um and I can see how that could be Alicia was this because this was when this is what yeah exactly sorry the time frame for me was uh 2009 to 2012 so this is when I was still with Nike I even had him at London telling me this is London 2012 Olympics telling me hey Alicia you can use our cryotherapy van you know, we would love to have you. We don't invite much more people in our group, but we would if we had one spot available, it would be for you. Yeah. Um, I can see him tracking people down like that. And a young athlete coming out, you know, mm. again, I had Tony being like, stay far mm. away. Run I was to say, hills, how did you, know? you how did that like land with you when he made you those offers over time? And just, I mean, to be mm. 
Yeah, to be completely honest, you know, there's still nothing proven, fully, fully proven that's out there. But, you know, I knew and I knew, okay, if something comes out later, because this happens with athletes, then I'm going to be the one that's also um, associated with this group. So it was an easy no for me. Mm -hmm. But it was definitely like, oh, they do have a group of people. Oh, they all are doing really, really well. Mm. Oh, I hate training by myself. And I I just feel like he looks for those. He looks for that. That's like your vulnerability. He could see your vulnerability, right? That you could see, okay, she probably wants a group or, you know, or like most people (laughs) on social themes who like to be part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And did that Mm -hmm. ever tempt you? Was it just like this cold no, like, your response just physically or in all ways was just like no with the fact of it being alberto salazar it never ever tempted me Mm. literally Mm. because it was alberto salazar there was not enough um, clarity Mm. into Mm. his name and him being a clean coach that would do an ethical thing for me to ever go with alberto salazar Mm. um Mm -hmm. really it wasn't but i could you know it did make me think oh like about their athletes and how well they're doing but i knew 100 percent the answer was going to be no i'm not going to respond to him Mm -hmm. you know he we're we're in the same environment over and over again so you know you smile you walk by you can't just tell him to you know go shove it mm -hmm. because i don't know yeah so even though the pressure for medals is there it's it's live it's a real thing there was no your your definition of success was broader than that like it mattered to you who helped you get that success Exactly. It mattered to me who I was associated with. And I didn't want, because there was so much chatter, I'm telling you, like everybody, I didn't want for now Alicia is with, you know, this group and they, um, you know, she now wins a medal. And Mm -hmm. the only reason she did that is because she was doing something sketchy with this coach. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if if we could um, pivot to, Yeah. yeah, just to. To reinforce yeah, that, yeah. you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, these negative stories, and I always say this, every time there's like a drug story, it just brings down the sport. There's nothing else we can do about that. So I'm wondering if we could um, now pivot to like some of the highlights from the week. Besides you getting a med- two medals, mm-hmm. Alicia, yeah. and Molly in the top 10 performance. Yes. Um, oh, my God, I enjoy the athletics so much. That's just what they call it. And so I know it's track and field yeah. over here, but it was some... Top-notch athletics. Yeah, top-notch <laughs> athletics. Um, really good. Um I'm wondering if any of you guys, like, what did you guys think? Okay, I have a few bright spots. Um, You and I were talking about how many uh, moms were winning medals Mm. and just having great performances. Yeah. One of my favorites was the surprise of, maybe not a surprise to her, Roberta Groner, six in the marathon. Mm -hmm. I think with weather like that, we all knew there could be, like, a lot of dropouts and someone could move up a lot. And Roberta ran so smart. Mm she was just reeling people in and ended up sixth, not that far off her PR, actually. Yeah. Um, so she's a mom of three, 41 years old. That was pretty inspiring to watch, wow. I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the bright spots for me. Okay. And even on that, there was a lot. It seemed like a lot of moms actually won medals out totally. there. Totally. Mia we, Ali. Yeah. 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 And Alison Felix won a few more yeah. medals, yep. which is un- unbelievable. Um, the women's yeah uh, yeah meter hurdle you said you always said her name Nia mm-hmm. yeah that was awesome and um, the hundred meter winner from Jamaica she yep. was amazing Shelly Ann Fraser yes 
she had her baby for her gold medal, first woman to win a gold medal. Allison Felix, again, I think we mentioned, you know, her winning the most global medals um, ever, mm-hmm. coming back with her baby Cami 10 months postpartum. Usain Bolt's record. Literally one of the best track athletes ever. Mm-hmm. Probably the best yes, track athlete exactly. ever. Yes, exactly. So that great. Medals. That was going viral all over it's my, like, incredible. non-running, like, social media feeds. It was mm-hmm. like, all these people who are not into running were, like, sharing articles about that. That yeah. was just so cool. Uh, um, we saw the world record with Delilah. She's not a mom, but I thought that was a pretty big oh highlight. Oh my god, that was an amazing race! Yes. Oh my gosh, right? Yeah. And can we just talk about just the young athlete, Sydney McLaughlin? Yeah, you know, right, right there. there, pushing for mm-hmm. a medal position mm-hmm. and uh, a, a gold medal position. That is, yeah, it's incredible. And I think, like you know, you can look at that race, and it was so exciting. You can see how. Having the two of those athletes, Sydney and Delilah, is it Delilah or Delilah? I think she says Delilah, but Delilah. I'm not she sure. Like, yeah, she, I mean, Delilah. If, if Sydney wasn't there, Delilah isn't going to be pushed into that line like that. Mm-hmm. And then Sydney was able to get such an effort out of herself trying to get to that line. It was such an exciting race to watch. And yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, like not to um, overly focus on records and medals, but like you do love when that's on the line, what it does to two competitors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I think... Yeah, that's what that's, keeps sports fans. Yeah, but it takes the two, like it takes the competition, mm-hmm. takes the rivalry to get that out. And even um, Alicia, you know, you going for a medal probably helped Brenda get her medal. Does that make sense? Of course. You know, you see Absolutely. this happen all the time. Yeah. If she can do it, I can do it. And that rivalry really can We're, raise the bar within countries, within, you know, within groups. Um, and just know having that familiar face is like, well, she's getting a medal. Well, I'm definitely getting right. Um, and exactly, I, it's just we so want to elevate each other. Yeah, and that's like the true yeah. meaning of competition. Anyways, like come together. Absolutely, so it's so cool. And it's great to set your sights high and have a really, really big goal. So this is like, of course, mm. not to take away from the goals of, of medals because we want that. And it's really, really important, just in general, for people to set the bar really, really high and aim for really, really big goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even the women. Um, 800 what do you what do you think of the um the women's 800 this year oh that was so incredible I mean again the importance of having people to train with that are um on your level can push you really really hard help elevate you having um Ajay Wilson and um Raven Rogers training together I'm sure has helped them but you know you know, you know how they can push each other to both be in a medal winning position. I know Ajay wanted that gold medal mm. really, really bad, and she put herself in the opportunity to do so. That's what you yeah, want. You know, even if she finished fourth, I think that this is again talking about medals and not having them. The fact that she reached for a really, really big goal, mm-hmm. and uh, even if she was to finish fourth or fifth, she put herself in that position mm-hmm. to go for the gold. And I think that that's something that's very, very valiant. And I'm so, so, so proud of her. Yeah, um, it's really you know, hard. That same respect. Yeah. Nearly hard. I was going to say yeah. nearly harder for her to run because she was the favorite. Mm-hmm. Where Raven was kind of like yes. running freer and like able to just like kind of capitalize on oh, this yeah. like it's- performance. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's definitely the underdog mentality. And, you know, that's why we always see underdogs being able to come through. Um, and we saw that same sort of excitement in our women's 1500. You know, mm. we, that was such a fast race. Mm-hmm. And I know Shelby Houlihan uh, was a little disappointed in her fourth place finish, but she finished with a three second PR. I mean, well, I don't know if that was a PR, actually, but a three second oh, yeah. break oh, yeah. of the American record. So, well, yeah, yeah, it had to be a three yeah. second PR because she didn't have the American record beforehand. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, that was so incredible. Yeah. And it was that was a medal 
performing oh, run yeah. anyway. So I think if we can look at things like that, even if the hardware doesn't show up, mm-hmm. we can be really, really excited for the future and continue to be motivated. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That was some race. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You heard a lot of women come out of that saying they were proud of the PR, proud of the season's best. Proud, like it was just fast. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. all you can ask for is to just put yeah. it all out there. Really raise the game. Yep. We could talk about every event here. I, I feel like I'm so excited. <laughs> um, one thing I just want to bring up was like one of my, I don't know, I think they're just so cute, is the um, Weibos. Mm-hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Mikael and Shanae. Yeah. They both won silver medals and um, he won it in the decathlon and she won it in the 400, mm-hmm. which was another crazy race. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think they're so cute. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, I'd say that. That would be. We should. They're just so They cute. would be interesting to talk to because that dynamic of competing at the same time. Yeah. Because your spouse is just so hard to balance. Like yeah. a lot of couples have Definitely. gone through that, but often it's like one person's hurt, one person's on their game, while the yeah. other person's off their game. Yeah. So I wonder what it's like to have both people just mm. like. Yeah, focused. and like she's Definitely. She's been doing so well Ashton in the last Brand few years. Brand know so well about yeah. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's been doing so well mm-hmm. for the last few years. She's been such a dominant force, and like, it's. I don't know. I think that Ferris, like, it's raised his game as well. Like, and that it's was just... A, that medal was huge for him. Yeah, I know she probably wanted gold, but yeah. obviously ran amazing. Yeah, she ran amazing. Because... Yeah. I mean, watching those athletes just makes me so excited for Tokyo next year. The countdown is on. Incredible, you guys. It's been so incredible just to chat with you guys and, and to make sure that we, we do keep track. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's time to wrap things up here. Mm-hmm. We could probably go on all day about the meet, but... Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. If you have any feedback or anything you want to hear about, shoot us yeah. an email. It will be on our website, which I just made today. Yay. Um, I guess we'll have show notes, etc. things you're supposed to have <laughs> with a podcast. And look forward to our next episode, which will, I hope, be our first interview with okay. someone yeah. super great. <laughs> just, <laughs> <Yes>. just wait. <laughs> super duper You great. guys just wait. I love it. Thank you, ladies. All right. Gonna, thanks, everyone. Enjoy. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for keeping track. Boom. <laughs> keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. One time. One. Yeah. Yeah. Keep track. Keep track. One time. One. Yeah. 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 Keep track. You already know what keep track. Major shout outs to Lou Montano for editing favors, for What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.